Good evening again, and we're glad you're here tonight, and we're so glad for those online who've stayed with us. Hey, we've all been there. This evening, we're starting a brand new series called Believe and Looking at the Book of John. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to the book of John, chapter 1, the fourth book of the New Testament. The book of John, chapter 1, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. On Sunday nights, we take books of the Bible, and we go through them verse by verse, and we get a little deep in the Word, because sometimes you need more time, and so I have more time to talk about concepts, I have more time to talk about uh, issues, and also to give background, and so sometimes it gets really, really deep, because I want you to understand what is taking place, I want you to understand what John is talking about. John is going to be talking about, in this series, to certain groups of people, And if you know those certain groups of people and what they believe, it makes a little more sense. And so tonight is the introduction, and let's look at the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight as we open your word, help us to understand it. That Father, we'll see the beauty of it. Father, we will understand the logic of it, but more importantly, Father, that we may see the author of it, you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here's a trick question. How many gospels are there? Now, I say it's a trick question because if I said it that way, most people, some people would say, well, there's four gospels, but it's not. There's only one gospel. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, there are four gospel accounts. And so at the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, you have Mark, you have Luke, and you have John. These are called the gospels. Each one give an account of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because basically they tell the same story. There are a lot of similarities. John is going to tell the story of Jesus, but he's going to look at different pictures. He's going to look at different events. It's a little different. And tonight, as we study this, as we begin to study this book, as always, there are three questions you ask. Before you study a book of the Bible, if you can answer three questions, you will understand that book better. That is, who is the author? Who is the audience? And what is the aim? Who's the author? Who's the audience? And what is the aim? So let's answer those questions at the beginning. First of all, who is the author? Now, Like most books, the author is not mentioned by name. And so we don't have that as far as him identifying himself, but there are so many clues. We know who wrote this gospel. There's almost no doubt who wrote this gospel. And the author of this gospel is the apostle John. And we know this based on what we call internal evidence and external evidence. First first of all, there's internal evidence. There are verses in the book of John that points to John. 
So for example, in John chapter 21, verse 24, it says that the writer of these things is the same person of the disciples whom Jesus loved in John chapter 21, verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved is mentioned a few times, but never do we have the name. And the reason it was, John was very humble. He didn't want to say, it's me. And so that's a clue of who wrote the gospel. So we know whoever wrote the gospel was in at the Lord's Supper. And the only people at the Lord's Supper were the 12 apostles. And so we know one of the 12 apostles wrote it. We also know that whoever wrote this was in the inner circle of Jesus because he gives background material. He gives behind the scenes material where no one should have known know what's going on. And so you have John and Peter and James. Well, we know James died early in church history. We learned that when I studied the book of Acts. And we know it wasn't Peter because Peter was pointing to John saying, what about him? And so, therefore, you can look at all this evidence, some of the evidence we can look at and see this person is John the Apostle. But there's also external evidence. We know, for example, whoever wrote this book also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John in the book of Revelation. And the reason is the writing style is identical. Uh, when I was in seminary, I had to take Greek, and, and we, one of the books we had to really look at was 1 John and John. And, the, and you could tell it's the same writing style. And we know that the John the Apostle was, was sent into exile. He wrote the book of Revelation. Therefore, we know John wrote this gospel. Also in history, we know that uh, one of his disciples, John's disciples named Polycarp, that he said that it was John who wrote the gospel. He said, John, the disciple of the Lord, who also leaned his head upon Jesus' breast, published a gospel account. So based on these clues, there is almost no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt in, in scholars' history that this was written by John. So who's the audience? John is obviously writing to Gentiles. And we know he had a church in Ephesus, and so he's writing to the Gentiles in Ephesus. Now, you say, how do you know it's obvious? Because as we go through this book, John defines terms. John is assuming his readers do not understand Jewish culture. And so he will give a, a definition and then explain it. He'll give a, a, a position and then explain the geography. He talks about the temple and he explains it. So he is writing to an audience who's not familiar with Jewish culture. His audience is with the Gentiles. So what is his aim? Uh, of all the books of the Bible, this is the easiest one to figure out because John tells us. Look over the book of John, chapter 20, for a moment. <clears throat> John, chapter 20, verse 30. John tells us his aim. He says in verse 30, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And then verse 31, But these, this book, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose. John says, I am writing you this book so that you will know that Jesus is the Christ. And not only that, that you will give your life to him. This is why this is one of the books when people are, are trying to figure out about Christianity or a new Christian, I tell them to read the book of John because it is pointing people to Jesus. Now, let me chase my first rabbit of the series. 
there are some other aims that John is trying to get to. Yes, he's, he's, he's talking to the Gentiles. He's showing them that Jesus is the Christ. But John is also debating people, the philosophers of his day. And we'll miss that if we're not aware of that. Many of the writings in the book of John, he is really talking to people, showing them, the philosophers, that they are wrong. So, for example, there were a group of philosophers called the Gnostics, Gnosticism. Gnosticism basically says that there's a duality of life. Here's what they would teach. Spirit is good. Matter is evil. God is good. The world is evil. We are made of spirit and body, so our bodies are evil. Our spirits are good. And since spirit cannot come in contact with evil, therefore whatever you do with the body will not affect your spirit. Not only that, because the spirit is good and the body is evil, it is impossible, they would teach, that God could become in flesh because that would make him evil. So they would deny that Jesus came in the flesh. They believe that the sin of the body wasn't important. They believe that Jesus could not have come and be God in the flesh. And not only that, they had this idea that if you had special knowledge, you were better than other people. They believe special knowledge got you into heaven. And so throughout the book of John, you will see John talk about, we know, we know, we know, we know. Because the Gnostics are saying, you really don't know unless you're one of us. And that's why John is going to talk about the flesh. That's why he's going to talk about the spirit a lot in this book. He's talking to the Gnostics. Well, there's another group called the Serinthians. Serinthians were, were based about this man named Serinthius. Serinthius said that there was a Jesus. He was born to Mary and Joseph, and at his baptism, God miraculously turned him into the Christ for three years. But right before the cross, he left the body of Jesus, and Jesus the man was the one who was crucified. And Corinthians is saying that Jesus is not human and spirit. That Jesus only lived, the divine was only for about three years. That Christ could not have suffered. He never suffered for any of us. And he was not divine. And if he was divine, maybe only for three years, but definitely not on the cross. And so John is going to talk about that throughout this book. How Jesus was divine from the very beginning. Now, there was another group, the docetism, that they believed that, that Jesus wasn't human. They said that Jesus seemed to be human if you looked at him, but basically he was a ghost. He was a phantom. You look at Jesus, you thought you saw a man, but he wasn't a man at all. He was simply divine. And so throughout the book of John, John talks again about the flesh and the spirit. John is debating the philosophers of his day. So in the months to come, we're going to be looking at this gospel. 92% 92 of the material in the gospel of John is unique. In other words, you don't find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John records very few parables. He doesn't talk about parables. He speaks a lot about eternal life. He speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit. He speaks a lot about the the deity of Christ. But this emphasis is different. Most of the... uh, Things that takes place in the book of John takes place in the south, in Judah. 
where in the Synoptic Gospels, they take place in Galilee in the north. Most of the things that John is going to talk about is when Jesus is ministering to the intellects in the cities. The Synoptics talk about Jesus in the country and the average person. So John is writing to Gentiles. He's showing them that Jesus is God. He's debating the, the philosophers of the day, presenting a picture for all of us that we will know that Jesus is God. And he begins in the most unique way. You don't find Bethlehem. You don't find the birth of Jesus. You find this, what is called the prologue. And in our passage, John gives answers about Jesus. The first thing he answers is who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. John is going to prove who Jesus is. In the beginning, sounds familiar? Comes from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, when God created everything, John is expressing, he's looking at the pre existing nature of Christ. In the beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus was there. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word. That word was, he was used three times, and in, in, in the Greek it's called imperfect. And basically what he was saying, he was and he is and continues to be the Word. And he uses a unique word. The word in, in the Greek is logos. In the beginning was the logos. That is a brilliant word. Now, for us in the 21st century America, we're looking at one another going, I have no idea what you're talking about. But John is talking to the Gentiles, and he's also really talking to the Jews because they use that word differently. You see, for the Jewish mindset, they understood what logos was. They understood the word. It was a word borrowed from the Old Testament. It represented God. It represented the creative power of God. Whenever in the Old Testament God spoke, something happened. God's word was important. It was the word of God by which the God created the universe. By the simple word, things took place. The word of God came when God spoke. When God spoke, things happened. And so whenever they heard the word, whenever they heard the word logos, they thought of God. It was not just a word. It was an event. It was a deed. And so the Jews were very familiar with that. They understood the reality of that word. I mean, there are 500 billion stars in our neighborhood in the Milky Way. There are over 200 billion galaxies, they tell us, beyond ours, holding over trillions and trillions of stars. And do you know how they formed? Do you know how they were created? God said a word. That is the power of God. And here's John saying that word came in the flesh. The power of God came in the flesh. The God who created billions and billions of stars became a microscopic cell in a woman's body. He entered the world in a stable. In the beginning was the Word. And for the Jews, it represented the creative power of God, but it also represented the self-disclosure of God. Because in the Jewish mindset, every time God spoke, something happened, and it revealed something about God to the people. 
Throughout the Old Testament, whenever God spoke, when something happened, the Jews would look at it and would say, okay, we understand God better now. So, for example, they talk about the Word of God. The first five books of the Bible in the Jewish mindset is the Word of God, the Pentateuch. The Ten Commandments are called the Word of God. The Old Testament is called the Word of God. It is the Logos. When they look at those things, they they saw who God really was. The Ten Commandments, they understood the moralness and the holiness of God. In the Pentateuch, they, they noticed that God was a caring God. In the Old Testament, they recognized that God was a, a, a providential and sovereign God. So to the Jews, to hear the word logos meant God. And John is saying in the beginning, logos came in the flesh. This is a clear communication of who God is and who Jesus is. But for the Gentiles, they had a completely different mindset. When they heard the word logos, they thought of something different. In, in that day, the, the, the Gentiles loved philosophy. They didn't have Facebook, so they had to do something. And they debated things. And they thought about things. And they read the philosophers, and they would gather together, and they would listen to the philosophers teach and debate. And, you know, you've heard some of these guys like Plato and Aristotle, but there, there was one Heraclitus who had a unique thought. Heraclitus said, if you put your foot in a stream of water and you take it out and you put your foot back in the water and shake it all about. I know what you're thinking over there. (laughs) He is now if he wasn't before. You cannot put your foot back in the same spot. Because the water is moving. The water's change. The sediments change. And, and, for, and, for, and for us, we're going, what? But this is how they thought. They, he started thinking, life is changing. The air is moving particles around, so there will never be this moment again. And Heraclitus is saying, you know, that life is changing so much. And if life is changing so much, why isn't there chaos? If all this changes around us, why is there more chaos? And it's not chaos. It seems to be there's order in the world. And so he started thinking about how is it possible to have all this change and yet there's order. And he concluded there has to be a reason. And this is what he said. The reason there's not chaos in the world is because of logos. Reason. The world was controlled by Logos. Now, to him, it was a philosophy. To him, it was a power. It wasn't a person. But he says Logos is is controlling everything and holding things together. In fact, Plato said, it may be someday that they will come forth from a God, a word, a Logos, who will reveal all mysteries and make everything plain. And the philosophers would get together and they talk about this logos, this power that's keeping everything together. And they debated that if this logos is keeping everything together, therefore the logos is the reason for life. And you need to seek out the logos. You need to seek out this logos because that's the reason for life. And if you could understand it, then you would have life itself. 
And so the Greek philosophers, the Roman philosophers would seek out, where's this logos? Where can we find this, this reason of living? Where can we find this philosophical reason to, that's holding everything together? And here comes John. And he says, in the beginning, the logos. And he's saying to the Greeks, he's saying to the Gentiles, you are absolutely right. Something is in control. And it's been in control from the very beginning. But it's not a principle. And it's not a power. He's a person. And his name is Jesus. You're looking for meaning of life. You're looking for purpose of life. You're absolutely right. You need to find the logos. And his name is Jesus. And that verse is brilliant. In the beginning was the Logos, because to the Jews it meant the power of God, but to the Greeks it meant the purpose of life. And John says, yes, you're right. And his name is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the words were with God, and the Word was God. He said, he said the Word was with God. That's a strange phrase. How can you be with God if you're God? Well, that phrase he says there literally means face-to-face with equality. In other words, this Logos is equal with God the Father. Jesus is equal with God the Father. So this is what John is telling us about Jesus in just two verses, two or three verses. He says, first of all, Jesus is eternally God. In the beginning was the Logos. Jesus did not have a beginning. No one created Jesus. He was there from the beginning. Just like in the first book of the Bible, in the beginning, you go back and, and you, from, you look at those words from Genesis, you look forward to see the creation of man. But in John, you look backwards to see the existence of God. Jesus was not just from the beginning. He was the beginning. Because he had no beginning. And again, I mentioned that earlier, that that phrase was in the Greek language. It means in the beginning, he was the word and is the word and will always be the word. He has no ending. He has no end. He's eternal. Like God the Father, God the Son never had a beginning and they will have an ending. So when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that was not his beginning. Jesus has always been God. And there will never be a time when he's not God. He is eternally God. But secondly, he is equally God. Again, in verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It means, as I said, this means being equal, equal standing. The Word has always been in this relationship with the Heavenly Father. We have the Heavenly Father, we have the Heavenly Son, we have the, the Holy Spirit. They've always had this communion with one another. Now, we call this the Trinity, and we're going to talk more about that later in this series. But we have one God, only one God. We don't serve three gods. We have one God manifested in three persons. There's no way I can explain that. I try. I mean, there's no explanation that makes sense. This is where you just take it by faith. But the Bible is clear. Throughout the Old Testament, it, it refers to this concept of the Trinity, even the beginning uh, in, the, in Genesis is that in the beginning, God, that word in Hebrew is Elohim. Well, technically, Elohim is a plural word, but it's used singular when it talks about Jehovah God. And I know it's confusing. 
I, I know people say, well, well, that makes no sense. One plus one plus one does not equal one. Yeah, but one times one time, one time, one equals one. I, I don't know. I can't explain that. We worship one God. And he's manifesting God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. And you look at the world, and it's almost as if God placed the Trinity concept all around us. Space, matter, and time. Space is length, breadth, and height. Matter is energy, motion, and substance. Time is past, present, and future. In fact, there are entire books written about the triuneness of the universe. But John also says he is essentially God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. I kind of like this. Here's what John is saying. Hey, by the way, if you haven't got it yet, he's God. I'm giving you all the clues, but let me just tell you right now, he is God. And every now and then I find someone who will tell me, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, and the Bible never claims that, that Jesus was God. And all I will ever say to them, you have never read the Bible. There's a man on TikTok that all he does is, is, is give bad information about the Bible and, and gives all this kind of information. No, the Bible never says Jesus is God. And I don't answer, but I scream at it. <laughs> it's in John. Over and over, the Bible says, Jesus said, and we'll see. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Over and over in the book of John, John, Jesus is going to say, I am God. And John is saying, I want you to understand that Jesus is God. He was God in his power so he could say to the waves, be still, and they were still. He could be God in his pardon where he could say to someone, your sins are forgiven. He is God in his position when people would come and bow down and worship him, and he did not deny that. He was God in his perception so he could meet a woman at a well, and he knew her life story, although he had never met her. He is God. Second question he asks is, what did Jesus did? Look at verse 3. Verse 2, he said, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John has laid the foundation. He says, Jesus is God. He said, let me tell you what Jesus did. He created all things. All things. That, that word that John uses there is very precise. It's the word panta. Panta, it, it, it means all the parts. For example, if I say a car and I say panta car, it means all the parts of the car, every individual part of the car. John does not say that he created the universe and that's it. No, John is saying he created everything. Every single atom he created. Every single molecule he created. He created everything individually, and it was created by him. And John even makes it a little stronger. In the, in the English, we miss it. He says, by him. Well, in the Greek language, it means through him. In other words, it's God, the Father, is the source of creation, but Christ is the means of creation. You know what that means? That Jesus, again, is not a created being. He is the creator being. He is the master of his creation. Sometimes I think we forget that. Because Jesus created all things, he controls all things. Listen to Paul in Colossians chapter 1. 
for by him all things, by the way, same phrase, every individual atom, all things were created that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, or the thrones or dominions and principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things con- consist. That word consist in the Greek language means superglue. You know what's holding this universe together? Jesus. You take Jesus out of the equation, everything would explode. That is the power of our Jesus. That's why we shouldn't worry or be concerned about the future. That's why we shouldn't worry or concern about what is coming our way, whatever may be coming our way, because Jesus is stronger. He controls everything. He holds it together. He is the one that we can trust in. We see the order, the symmetry, the harmony, the beauty of all, everything in the universe, and it is Jesus who's holding it together. So what does Jesus does what Jesus does look at verse 4 in him was life and the life was the light of man the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is not comprehended John says let me tell you about Jesus he is God you know what he did he created everything he's holding it all together do you know what he does He said he brings life to the dead. That's what he says. To him was life. Only the dead needs life. And this world is full of walking corpses. They don't even realize they're dead. If you don't have Christ in your life, you are spiritually dead. Every person without Jesus is spiritually dead. And only Jesus can give them life. That's what he does. But only to bring life to the dead, he brings light to the darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Again, in the Greek language, that word light is in the present active. What it means is it's constant. It will never go out. It's constant. It's never going out. It will continue to shine and shine and shine. And throughout the book of John, I want you to notice how many times he talks about light. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Notice how many times Paul talks about light. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. He says, Open your eyes and turn from darkness to light. See, Jesus did not just come to regenerate the dead. He came to illuminate the darkness. That's why he came. In the book of Genesis, the first thing it says, God said, let there be light. Jesus is to give light to the world in order for them to see who he is. And that light cannot be conquered. And that word... It says, did not comprehend it. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. it that's a strong word. It has the word of being, uh, being a conqueror. It's very forceful. It's the same word to use when a demon threw the demonic boy to the ground in, in Mark chapter 9. John is saying, the light throws the darkness to the ground. The sad part? 
people either refuse to see the light or they reject it when they see it. And that's the sad part. And here's John saying, I want you to understand, nothing will overcome this light. For 2,000 years, people have tried to extinguish the light. It's impossible. There is no power group. There is no people group. There is no political group that will ever stop the light of Christ. You know, every now and then I, I hear people say, well, that person or that group, they're going to destroy Christianity. That is impossible. That's impossible. We have a God who cannot be conquered. In fact, the faintest light cannot be quenched by the deepest darkness. During World War II, there was a devastating air raid in Great Britain. And someone found a sign that became a statement. And many people thought it came from a very famous person. It, it really came from a woman who lost her dog at a, a bomb raid. She wrote these words on the tombstone of her dog. There's not enough darkness in all the world to put the light of, out the light of one small candle. There's not enough darkness in all the world to put out the light of one small candle. That's true. One small candle can conquer the darkness. Imagine what the light of God can do. And here is John writing a, this book to tell us we serve a powerful God who came to give us life and light, and we can trust him. Will you trust him tonight? Will you stand and bow your heads? Jesus is God. And Jesus is the light to bring you out of your darkness. And Jesus is the life to bring you out of death. And maybe here, you're here tonight, maybe you're watching online and, and you understand that Jesus is God and he died for you on a cross to give you life. And you see that light tonight. I want to encourage you to not only walk toward the light, I encourage you to run to the light and give your life to Him. Well, those online, you can text uh, the word today at 270-398-5005. And text the word today and a minister will give you a call to talk about your decision. But for those who are here, if, if you have never given your life to Christ and a personal way let tonight be the night or it may be a time of rededication that it is our job as believers to present the gospel the only gospel the true gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ to present him as the light and the life of the world maybe we need to rededicate our lives either privately or publicly saying Lord use me to spread this light into the world Father, speak to us now. Father, whatever decisions we need to make, either private or public, Father, let us make it tonight. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. 
Father, forgive us when we don't recognize how powerful He is. Father, forgive us when we neglect what He says. Father, forgive us when we worry about so many different things and we take our eyes off the one with all power and look at problems. And so, Father, tonight, whatever decision we need to make, let it be as we look toward Jesus. In His name, amen.